0: this is a pretty exciting transitional time for this congregation um i know i'm excited about uh, reverend david clements coming next week but think of all the beauty and continuity of this congregation nancy just before you leave for your how many years have you been here and when you help lead the service, it has a commanding and serene feel and presence. And you did this just on a very last minute. Once again, well, I think we all thank you for so much that you give here. Uh, thanks. Uh, it's, it's just great. I, I take it for granted. I think it time- and Rosa uh, for the music today. And Randy, I don't know that I've ever been at a service that you've played at before, and and Mike Zichterman and I were saying it it just especially is wonderful in this setting to evoke uh, a sense of peace and, and, and reflection uh, and thanks. And I think we all sometimes take Amy for granted. I know sometimes when she finishes her sermon and I know I have to follow her, I'm so tempted to walk with the children <laughs> <I'll be> out <laughs> door But I have some comments and thoughts today. I am so excited uh, because Bradley started back up um, this most recent Wednesday And it's exciting for me. I teach three classes a semester, and one of the classes I'm teaching is my staple. I do it every single semester, my survey of Asian religion. I personally think that everyone in the ages of 18 to 22 needs to see how other people ask the questions, the big questions so differently, and arrive at, um, in some ways, similar, but enough um, different answers to those questions that Uh, we can learn and and kind of expand our own repertoire of responding to life. Um, I always get excited to be up there, but I'm teaching two other classes. I teach a class called the Psychology of Religion. You can take it um, in the psychology department, or you can take it in the religious studies. It's the same class, dual listed. And we explore all the things about our personalities that make us more inclined to being religious or less, and what phases of our life. But we always then have to ask this question. If you're an academic psychologist, and you are taking a look at the role that religion plays in people's lives, how do you evaluate it? On the whole, would you look at it as something that releases and encourages the release of our most loving and generous and kind and creative potentials? Or is it in some way something that thwarts our full attainment of cognitive powers and and sense of life? Um, It's a question that endures. I'm teaching yet another class called the Human Condition. For the first third of the class, For five weeks, approximately, we look at the natural sciences, particularly evolutionary biology, to see who is, what is Homo sapien, right? And who are we as a species? And then we turn to the social sciences, again, psychology and a bit sociology, and ask these questions. And then finally, philosophy and religion, looking at the ideas that shape human life. But again, the question emerges, if you're looking like a cultural anthropologist at the role of religion in human life? Would you say that, again, it encourages what's most noble about us in those quintessentially human capacities to reach out for um, a more just and loving world? Or is religion somewhat like our propensities to violence or our sweet tooth? Something that functioned perhaps in humanity's early evolutionary history, but? in the 21st century is perhaps something best left behind. Great questions. This is my 41st year in college teaching. As I begin a new semester, I have to confess to you, I go back and forth on these questions and have developed what I call a love-hate relationship uh, with religion over the years. And I think at this moment of my favorite thinker. The philosopher-psychologist William James, actually trained as a medical doctor at Harvard Medical School, stayed on to the psychology and philosophy departments, and he delivered a set of lectures that were later published as the Varieties of Religious Experience about 100 years ago that has remained the greatest text for scholars of religion. He was writing to a friend because he was ready to begin the series of lectures, and he was so worried, what are people in the audience going to think of me? He knew many of them were very religious people who would be in the audience, and he knew many of the things he was going to say in his lecture as a philosopher and psychologist was going to offend them. But he also knew there there were going to be some hard-headed rationalist scholars, and some of the things that he would say pro-religious might offend them. <laughs> and he wrote a friend of his just before beginning these, and he says, I am so you know, um, nervous about these lectures, and I only hope that I can convince my audience, and now I'm going to quote from his letter, what I myself invincibly do believe that although all the special manifestations of religion have been absurd, yet the life of religion as a whole has been humanity's most important function. As I say, over 41 years, I go back and forth on this. Usually what I read last is what I'm thinking at the moment. Um, And I've gone back and forth because most of what the special manifestations of religion have been absurd. They're not grounded in scientific evidence. Their thinking doesn't hold up well against rational, logical scrutiny. And so often what goes under the banner of religion is a mask for some of humanity's narcissism and tribalism and kind of the ugliest sides of being human. We wouldn't need I can get away with saying this, um, to go too many blocks away from here and up across North Peoria to attend some congregations today where what is going under the banner of religion masks, things that I don't think reflect the noblest expressions of human abilities. But as every semester begins, I get renewed, and I become once again profoundly aware of the many ways that religiosity while many of its special manifestations are absurd, is nonetheless humanity's most important function, and I want to share a few of those today. I might point out that a a well-known scholar of religion, Houston Smith, wrote a book called Why Religion Matters, and I don't know if any of you are aware, NPR did a lot of um, interviews with her just a few months ago, Elaine Pagels. She's the scholar who did so much to bring the Gospels that were excluded from the Christian New Testament. But we often forget that in the first days of Christianity, there were many views of what Christianity stood for. And some of those voices got expressed in the gospels that didn't make it into uh, the Christian New Testament. And she's revived. And she um, has recently written a book called Why Religion that you might be on the lookout for. And this is kind of going to be my take on on the same. And I begin with this. As a scholar of the natural sciences and and psychology, I realized one thing. We are a species, and we're always adapting to our environment, and that's who we are. We're adaptive, and adapting is what we're about. I want you to imagine the students that I teach semester in, semester out. The most pressing environment to which they are adapting themselves is their social environment. Their friends, their peer groups, social organizations. And this is one of their most preoccupying concerns is how well am I fitting in with my peers? How am I viewed by my peers? And this is a a major uh, concern of theirs. And they're also looking ahead, not only to their family today, but potential families in the future. But then, of, of course, the main reason that they're at the university, for most of them, is the economic reality. What jobs are out there? How do I acquire the skills to get one of those jobs? And so they're trying to do whatever they can and adjust, and they're very preoccupied with this. Now, as we start to think, what other environments are there? There's, of course, the the environment, the natural environment, political structures, right? But religion is different than all of those areas of life. Religion comes to us and poses another issue. Religion, as distinct from economics, social, any other kind of way of looking at our environment, says there's a higher environment, a more ultimate environment to which we should adapt ourselves. So when he began his book, The Varieties of Religious Experience, William James said, I need a definition of religion to start talking about the different ways religion works for humans. And he says religion comes down to this. It's the belief that there is an unseen order and that our supreme good comes in harmoniously adjusting ourselves to that unseen order i'm going to repeat religion is belief that there's some order environment of life that's unseen and yet at the end of the day our highest good is going to come from adapting ourselves to that unseen order The beauty of that definition, it allows so many (laughs) different takes on it. Just take this for example, the unseen order in Judaism, as best I can say in a nutshell, is you know, we take the first five books of the Bible, which are often called in Judaism, the Torah, the first five books, but the word Torah also means way of life. In Judaism, it's believed, yes, you don't see it with your eyes or taste it or touch it with your physical senses, but in God's will, there's an unseen way of life and we are willing to separate ourselves away from many other patterns of life, by our diet, our dress, our moral behavior, to live a righteous life by adjusting ourselves to the Torah, the way of life willed by God. Christianity expanded on that, but the unseen order for Christianity, at least the way we think of it mostly around uh, America today, the unseen order is the afterlife, heaven. And our supreme good will be to be accepted into heaven when we die. And the way we harmoniously adjust ourselves to that is by worshiping God, by obeying God. Now Buddhism, the unseen order, is nirvana. It's the peace that comes when we, and the way we get there is through exercises that eliminate self-seeking. Eliminate the radical and ongoing worldly cravings and bring quietude and serenity of mind. And we could go on and on. There are so many ways of conceptualizing it. So now we have to ask a question. Does it matter? Does it matter whether you're religious or not? Does it matter whether there? and I'm using the word interchangeably, that there's a spiritual uh, thread to the many threads that make up our lives? Why be religious? What's in it for us? Um, Does it make any difference? I once had a very good friend say to me, you know, you don't have to be religious to go through life. Um, You can go through life without being religious. He says, but you can go through life without art. You can go through life without music. For that matter, you can go through life without love. But anyone who has experienced love, anyone who has been enriched by music and art, knows that it opens up so much more dimensions of fulfillment and enjoyment and exhilaration and I'll once again say quintessentially humanness um, to one's life. And so what are these ways? What ways do religion, and I'm going to just pick three. My first is this, imagination. The imagination of that unseen order. So much about our nor other aspects of our lives is there's a reality already out there. There's a business environment. How am I going to get into that business environment? You're adjusting to a reality that is out there. Religion asks us to imagine a new perspective. I love a Latin phrase. Somehow when you say something in Latin, it sounds so much more intellectual and valid or something. I don't know why. Sub specia eternitatis. Sub, under, specia, a point of view, eternitatis, eternity. Under the perspective of eternity, it's exhilarating to look, at relig- to look at our lives from the aspect of eternity. To try to get that bird's eye view. Why are we here? What's it all about? <laughs> when I draw my last breath, what do I want to have done with my life? And religion is that. We pull out our thinking caps and we begin to look down at our lives from An abstracted, imagined point of view. But therein lies, the, as I say, religion is our most important function. You know, we use the word universe. We use it commonly. You and I. United. Connected. But you know, your senses don't tell us that. We live in a multiverse. (laughs) Everything is really unconnected. Unless we have a point of view in which we can see it connected. Religion does that. And this is why I think that even though so many religious groups, what did Amy say? 4,200? I I should have written that down. Uh, She told us today that there were, I think, approximately that many different religious voices in the world today. Even though so many of their points of view don't really correspond with what you and I would call the actual facts of, of life, and so many of them in their special manifestations are absurd, Nonetheless, they plant seeds of improvement. I'll just take the concept of justice. Realistically, there's no justice in the world out there, right? But the visions of peace and justice that have come from religious visions, religious imagination, have allowed us as a human beings and human species to incrementally grow towards justice, right? They gave us that under the aspect of eternity, imagined perspective to look down at our lives. And over time, they've been leavens of a higher order. Seeds that have blossomed into some of our most noble acts as human beings individually and as a group. Because we've imagined this unseen order. And it's made us possible to imagine and to strive for lives that aren't out there now but when we bring them into realization, they're better. And it brings us to the second reason, in addition to imagining our lives under the aspect of eternity, I also think religion brings exhilaration, enthusiasm, and endurance that's not found without this point of view. First aspect of this is this. I think many of us have some wholeness hunger, (laughs) meaning we've all experienced some love, but we yearn for infinite love, we've experienced mind, and we yearn for infinite mind, and there are those of us in moments in our lives, and for some of us as individuals, it's dominant, always seek through prayer and meditation connection with something that's ultimate, eternal, and greater, and there's an inward luring, there's an inward enjoyment that maybe is not unlike listening to a great symphony or being moved by a great piece of art, but it brings an enriched subjectivity that just in the feeling of it itself justifies itself of an exhilaration and enthusiasm for living. But I'm also thinking the way that religion can sustain our efforts to delay immediate personal gratification and work for longer term goals. Longer term goals in our own life and for those around us. And when the rubber hits the road, one of the greatest distinctions in all of our lives is to the degree we were able to put aside more immediate personal satisfactions, to roll up our sleeves and work. And I think we all have to admit, with religion comes a certain zeal, a certain grit, um, a certain tenacity. To work for something that will help us, how did we put it? that our supreme good comes from adjusting ourselves to that unseen order. I hope this, I, I can make this work and I can explain it uh, quickly, but I was always taken by a Harvard psychologist who wrote, when he was looking out, he said, you know, hard work, delaying gratification, even just trying to be ethical, when so many around you are getting ahead without doing those kinds of things, You can't sustain that kind of grit if you're not optimistic. But you can't sustain being optimistic if you don't have that view, shall we call it subspecia eternitanis, from a higher point of view. He called it a myth of being, a grand narrative that shows you that in the end, this is why we're here, what it's all about, what it ultimately is. And then all of a sudden, we roll up our sleeves. We delay gratifications. So if we have that grand narrative, we understand why I'm rooting for this and I'll align my life with it. I'll pledge my trough and I will delay gratification to work for longer term goals. There's a grit, there's a zeal, and there's a tenacity that comes from those who can look at the unseen order rather than just what's immediately there. You know, I might point out, when we say why does religion matter, you may know that many studies have shown that in America, people who are religious donate more of their time and their money to charities than non-religious Americans. I will point out, <laughs> it's like all studies, you can look at them. Um, some people have done follow-up studies that show that many religious Americans will only donate to people who, um, if you will, um, they view as tribal insiders and not to those they view as outside their tribe. Um, and there's uh, qualifications like that. And It could be that many of the personality traits that led them to be religious were personality traits that with or without religion would have given rise to charity. but. It remains. This zeal, this grit, this willingness, and this exhilaration to delay personal gratification, to work for things for the future and for others, uh, is found in religion more than in non-religion. And finally, a third, in addition to imagination, to see your life from another perspective, an ultimate perspective, and from the exhilaration and the endurance and the delay of gratification. But finally, the sense of fulfillment, and meaning. I was listening to NPR last week and a philanthropic um, billionaire was on talking. He says, you know, he says one thing, he says, I can tell you, you can't buy fulfillment by the pound in a store. And many of us, at the end of the day, we're humans. It isn't just acting. We want to feel that we are fulfilled. I think at the end of the day, what is the meaning of anything? The meaning of anything is how it serves something greater than itself. Just take every organ in your body. The meaning of our lungs, the meaning of our spleen and liver, pancreas, are the functions they perform for the organism. They find their meaning in how they'll help a larger whole. Religion brings that sense of meaning and fulfillment. Are some of the special manifestations of the absurd? Perhaps. But on the whole, it's our greatest function to feel that we have contributed to something grander, greater and more ultimate, perhaps adapting ourselves to a world that isn't out there in any quick sense. So here I am, I am entering right now my 82nd semester of college teaching, and I'm still pondering this question. First, does it just matter whether you're religious or not? This congregation, more than any congregation gathered in Peoria today, knows that what does it mean to be religious? what counts as being religious, and certainly we all know many of the people we most admire in life wouldn't be counted religious (laughs) in in some congregations here in Peoria today. Um, And it's true, much of what goes under the name of religion isn't noble. It justifies crass superstition, Um, it encourages intellectual laziness, it impedes rational thought, um, and it steers us away from what's important in this world by sometimes preoccupying us with invisible afterlife realities. And yet, as absurd as many of the special manifestations of religion are, I remain as convinced as I was 82 semesters ago when I chose to do this that there's nothing like religion to add that like love and art and music to add some subjective enrichment, it is, in my opinion, one of humanity's most important functions. It excites us to envision and imagine our lives seen from an ultimate perspective, from under the aspect of eternity, and gives us a frame of reference that can sow seeds to have us bring into reality visions of a more perfect world that aren't out there today. It exhilarates us to put aside short-term comforts for grander and more long-term goals, and it gives us a sense of meaning that we've contributed to something larger and greater. And so my thoughts today are probably quintessential UU thoughts, probably, that although many of the manifestations of religion, as Amy said today, 4,200 of them, few of us would find ourselves in agreement with many of them, and we find many of their beliefs and practices bordering on absurd, nonetheless, the spiritual dimension of humanity, religion in its broadest sense, is humanity's most important function. And I've had the privilege of being able to go into classrooms and and to try to help my young students uh, make some distinctions about which of them is which, and uh, at least for themselves, decide how they're going to chart their path. And it's been about as fulfilling of a life as I, I can possibly imagine. And one of the parts of that has been from time to time coming and getting to know this congregation and this community. And I think some exciting times are ahead for UU Peoria. Um, David's here next week. And we all know that there's gonna be a lot of people from this congregation who are gonna help him have a successful year as we look forward and select the next uh, permanent pastor here. It's an exciting time for UU. So I look forward to seeing you all at uh, coffee hour (laughs) and um, thank you very much for having me today.